Hey, would you grab a Bible real quick and uh, turn to Mark chapter 5? Mark chapter 5. Hope you've been reading with us uh, through the Gospel of Mark. But before we read together, I want to share something with you uh, this morning. Many of you know the 46th anniversary of Roe versus Wade uh, was this past Tuesday. Also, a few days ago, the New York State Legislature voted to legalize abortion. The particular law goes beyond the federal law of recognizing a baby at 24 weeks. In fact, it's now legal in New York to have an abortion up until the date of birth. That means that two weeks, or two hours for that matter, before delivery, a woman in New York can simply state she's not ready to, that she's not ready to give birth. In other words, it's no longer necessary for a doctor to be present, but simply requires a quote-unquote, an abortion specialist to perform the procedure. In the Bible, in Jeremiah, we read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Now think about that for a second. Before you were thought of by your earthly parents, God knew you. God knows your past, your present, and your future. So if God knows everything about you to include the numbers of hairs on your head, your specific DNA, etc., what gives anyone, whether convenient or inconvenient, the power to affect life? The Bible is clear that murder is wrong. I'm not sure that you're aware of it, but scientists and medical professionals alike, both believers and unbelievers, both agree that the facts of a viable heartbeat occurs at six weeks of age. But in actuality, once the egg is fertilized by the sperm, there is a living being. In Psalm 139, the psalmist worships by declaring, I am fearfully, I am wonderfully made. And you are too, and I am too. And so are the 287,000 babies that were aborted in New York just last year. Now, I realize you didn't come here for a science lesson. And you may think that was New York. What does Texas have to do with New York? But God's Word admonishes us. God's Word, church, tells us to speak up for the widow, the orphan, in other words, we need to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. And if a baby, a living being, is threatened with loss of life, we cannot be silent. Paul writes to Timothy, there will come a time when man is lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. In Romans, after giving a similar list, Paul summarizes by saying, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now listen, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm not for standing on the street corner and beating people over the head with the Bible show you examples of that doing more damage than good. However, I am for speaking the truth. And as long as I'm allowed to minister here, we will speak truth. We will speak against the killing of innocent life. We will speak against sin in general despite the unpopular opinion. As we've talked about many times before, the Gospel is not just about receiving. It comes with a responsibility. And that responsibility is to be salt and light. Preserve that which is good. Shine light on the darkness. In other words, stand against sin. That will be uncomfortable at times. In fact, it got Jesus killed. But the choice is clear. 
We can be a social club that meets on Sunday, pats each other on the back and goes about our lives, or we can be the church. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. As for grace, it's real. If you've had an abortion, if you've paid for an abortion, if you've looked the other way at abortion, that sin is no different than any other sin. If you return to God, He is faithful and just forgive your sin. In other words, there's no sin beyond God's grace. God is ready to restore, redeem, and heal. But we will not sit on our hands. We will not simply wring our hands and wish we could do something about what we know to be true. And we will not bury our head in the sand and expect God to bless us. At this place, you will hear the Gospel. The full Gospel. To include sin. Not everyone will like that. Not everyone likes truth. But we will answer one day for not only what we said, but for what we did. And I pray, church, that God finds us faithful. Now for the book of Mark. In chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, if you'll read along with me. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around Him while He was by the lake. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject for bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt, she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet, you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed of your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother, the disciples who were with him, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray. God, would you please be with us as we hear your word today? Would you give us, my dad, the right words to say? And would you allow us to remain focused? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As broken people living in a broken world, surrounded by broken people, we need hope, do we not? It seems to me that 
when we look at the news that I just mentioned, or when we look at a prayer list that's quite extensive, as Hal described earlier, that we need hope. Several weeks ago, I asked you guys to uh, think about people that God had placed on your heart, and I got several cards back. I'm grateful for the ability, the, the opportunity. I'm honored to pray with you guys about these things, but if they're not, if they're not in front of us, time and time and time again, in other words, over and over and over again, it seems like, and I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself for just a second, if I don't keep these things at the forefront of what I'm doing, then I, it just kind of goes by the wayside. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, I get focused on something else, and I forget about, I forget about the brokenness, I forget about the, the suffering, I, I forget about the, the trouble that people find themselves in. Let me just share with you a couple of things. There's, there's one on here that's, uh, I'm not going to share names for obvious reasons, but a person who's been struggling for quite some time with a, a physical situation, a person who needs to walk with Jesus, somebody who's not saved, a person who is a, a stepson that, that needs prayer and uh, needs somebody to share Jesus with him, a person who's in an abusive relationship, a person, a co-friend, uh, a co-worker who is spiritually blind, uh, neighbors facing marital issues, broken families, a person that I haven't spoken with for years, a co-worker who's not a Christ follower, our daughter, my next door neighbor, my daughter, my cousin, people that need to know Jesus, broken relationship, a person that I haven't spoken with in years, broken relationships, selfish people, People that need Jesus. Sick people. Sick people that have been sick for quite some time. A long time friend that I would have the ability and the opportunity to share Jesus with them. A person for salvation. A person for healing. A person for healing and education. You get the idea? Brokenness. I don't know about you, but as I said before, I think it's a great privilege. A great, great privilege to be able to, to go to God in prayer and know that He knows before we even say it. Know that He knows the brokenness of our world. Know that He knows the brokenness of each and every situation on here. Know that He knows that even the prayer, even me, with the brokenness that I have, can pray about broken things in a broken world. And God's still in the business of healing. God's still in the business of restoration. God's still in the business of reconciling all, everything. Creation itself the Creator. Isn't that amazing? And God forgive us when we don't take that seriously. God forgive us when we don't pray that way. God forgive us when we just go through the motions and we don't, we don't go to God. I, you mentioned about God's loud voice, the Father's loud voice and the Holy Spirit's silent, you know, quiet voice from time to time. I was reminded of James this past week when he says, when you pray, you ought to pray with faith, right? Because if you don't pray with faith, if you don't think that something's going to take place, if you don't think that something's going to be healed because of its brokenness, then, then what are you doing? Christian and I were having a conversation yesterday about prayer, and I said, you know, when you pray something, pray it from your heart. Because if you're not praying it from your heart, if you really don't believe what you're saying, if you really don't believe, and I, wasn't, I, was, I was encouraging myself as I was encouraging him, right? If we really understand the opportunity we have to pray, to share our concerns with the Creator of the universe, the One that can make things and will make things right, despite all the trouble in our world. If we don't have that kind of faith, then what are we doing? James would say you're like a, 
You're like a reed in the wind that's just passing back and forth and back and forth. This particular text here in Mark chapter 5, I think, is a text about hope. It's a text about faith. It's a text about healing. It's a text about restoration. If you've been with us the last several weeks, especially the first part of, of Mark, we've been talking about miracles. And I don't know if you picked up on any themes or not, but Jesus restores, right? He goes to the blind man and He restores. He goes to the leper and He restores. And He does things on the Sabbath day and that causes some real trouble for, for the religious people. And we even talked about last week where He's greater than even nature, right? Where He says to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And His closest followers are so amazed that the Word says they're astonished. Even the wind and the waves obey Him. In other words, it's not just about restoration. It's not just about... Another miracle he does early in Mark is that he casts out demons, right? This, this idea of greater than this spiritual fight, this spiritual struggle that's going on with even a Gentile, demon-possessed man. And then we get to two miracles here in the latter part of chapter 5. Did you catch that? There's a couple themes, I think, that, that are here in, in Mark chapter 5 in these two miracles that we just read, but for sake of time, I'm just going to point out just, just two. There, there, there are many others. First of all, this synagogue ruler, this, this Jairus, who has to have enough faith, right? He's a religious person, but he has to have enough faith. I think sometimes, church, we convince ourselves that our attendance measures our faith. You understand what I'm saying by that? Uh, if I come to church, it's obvious I have faith. Not so fast. If I go to a Bible study, if I say grace before a meal from time to time, if, if I tell somebody about, you know, if I, if I just mention God bless them every time they sneeze, if I somehow, some way, we, we think that that is a good measurement of our faith. And I think that's a horrible way to measure faith. You see, we really won't understand how much faith we have until we go through that trial, right? Until we're in the bottom of that valley and it seems like there's no way out and it gets darker and darker and darker. I have a friend that was recently, he's on the prayer list now, but he was recently diagnosed with cancer. And the only way they found this cancer is he was having a problem with his appendix, and he went in for an appendectomy, and when they got in, they found cancer. And then they, they did a procedure a couple days later, and they thought that they got cancer. It was right around the, the kidney, and they thought they got the cancer, but it turns out, this particular cancer is a rare kind of cancer, so it's not, it looks one thing, it looks one way today, and it may look something totally different tomorrow. You follow what I'm saying? It's a, well, what do you do with that? It's a really rare form of cancer. He's in the middle of the bottom of a valley, and as strong as he tries to be, he puts on a good front, as strong as he tries to be with his faith. This person has got a great testimony. If he was standing here, if he was standing here before us today and was allowed to share his testimony, you would all be amazed at what God has done for him and what God's doing through him. And yet, there comes a point in time where you're not on the mountaintop anymore. And you don't have the voice you had once before. You, in fact, you're in this valley. You're in this dark place. And you're, you're asking God, why? Why now? Why me? Why this? I think that's a better measurement of faith. I mean, do you really... Do you really believe when all, when all things go south? Do you really believe? It's, it's easy to say, I, I believe. Lord, Lord, I believe. It's, it's easy to say that on a Sunday morning, right? When we're in a safe place. It's really easy to say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower when we don't find our name on the prayer list 
very often, but what about if you've been on the prayer list for quite some time? What if you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed for these individuals and it seems like that God is nowhere to be found? What if you're going through some kind of relational crisis and it seems like that life is not... Is, is life fair for anybody? Isn't that a real measurement of our faith? I think Jairus really understood what faith was about. This was a synagogue ruler. This was a guy who probably knew his Old Testament from left to right, from right to left, and everything in between. And yet he came to the end of his faith, if you will, and he realizes only Jesus, only this carpenter from Nazareth can do something about my plight. And my plight is, put yourself in his sandals for a second. Your daughter is dying. And there's no magic formula, there's no incantation. You, you can read about certain prayers in the Old Testament with some of the prophets, and they, they say certain words at certain ways. I, I think about the Lord's Prayer and how some people recite this Lord's Prayer, but it's just a recitation, right? It's not just, I'm not praying it from my heart, I just know that by memorization, oh Lord, our Lord, our, we, just, we go through these motions of, I was at, I was at the hospital recently, and, and one of the chaplains who's Catholic comes in, and I was with a Catholic person, and the chaplain said, are you Catholic? And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not Catholic. And they said, well, if, if you want to go ahead and say a prayer with us, and I thought, my prayer is going to be a lot different than yours is, but I'll go ahead and recite the Lord's Prayer with you. But the point I'm trying to make is, do we pray from the heart, or is it just this recitation? Is it just this incantation? For Jairus, he came well past this idea of just magic formulas. Right? They weren't working anymore. And so he goes to Jesus, and he says, could you please, would you please do something about this brokenness? I've done everything I know to do. I've been faithful in church. I've gone to every Bible study. Nothing seems to work. And he begs and he pleads with Jesus. My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed, so that she will be restored, and that she will live. And notice Jesus doesn't preach to him, does he? He begins to go with him. And interestingly enough, Mark gives us this little side street. He interrupts that particular story with another story. Why? A large crowd was following Jesus as they often did. They wanted to see what he was about. They wanted to see his latest miracle, what new thing he was up to. And this woman who has come to the end of her faith, much like Jairus, she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Ladies, 12 years sound like a long time. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She suffered a great deal, it says, under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. She had gotten referral after referral after referral and nothing seemed to work. And instead of getting better, she even grew worse. You've been there? You, you come to the end of your faith and the only place you know to turn is go to Jesus. I wish we would do that from the get-go. I wish that would be our first initial response is to go to God Instead of all, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to doctors. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do what God has given us. But, but first and foremost, we should go to Jesus. I love what it says about her faith. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind Him in the crowd and she just touched His cloak. And it says, if, if I just touch His cloaks, I will be healed. That was, her, that was her thoughts, right? If I just touch His clothes, can you imagine? And what about when she touches His cloak and it says, immediately she's healed. What goes through her head, right? Why didn't I do this a long time ago? At once, Jesus realized power had gone out from him. He turned around, and Mark gives us a great picture of this dialogue between Jesus and those who lack faith, even his closest followers. Who touched my clothes, Jesus said. 
And those with little faith said, you, you see the people crowding against you? And, and you're going to ask us anyway, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I wonder why that's there for us, right? I mean, this is God in the flesh. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, he, she came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear. That's an interesting phrase, right? You're going one direction, and everything has been going wrong for a long, 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 long time. And Jesus restores, and what's your response? She falls at his feet, she trembles with fear, and she told him the whole truth. And he said, listen, daughter, your faith. That's interesting, isn't it? Your faith has healed you. That, that takes faith to a whole new level, right? We're not just talking about the Hebrews 11.1 1 text. We're not just talking about the Hebrews 11.6 text. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're talking about faith on steroids here. We're talking about, if I just touch His cloak, I will be healed. That faith, right? Just like the man who carried their friend to Jesus and let him down at right. What does it say? By their faith, you've been healed, Jesus said. Now get up and walk off. The same thing he says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. Now Mark's back to the original story. That's interesting, right? So as Jesus was still speaking to this woman, some people from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, you'll remember, they come and share the message of your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? In other words, your valley is going to be longer and your valley is going to be darker and just this is your lot in life these are the cards you've been dealt why why mess with the teacher anymore but jesus heard them and notice what he says verse 36 don't be afraid don't be afraid some of you some of you have been on this journey with people for a long 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 time and you've come it seems to the end of your faith and i would say to you if jesus was standing here before us he would tell you the same thing that he tells Jairus when he would say, don't, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, yeah, but, but God, don't be afraid, just believe. Last week we talked about limitations, right? We talked about limits. We put limits on God. The guys in the boat were, were deathly afraid. They thought they were going to die. They had put limits. Even You know, Jesus had done a lot of great things, but he's asleep in the stern of the boat. They put limits on God. And when Jesus says, quiet, be still, they're astonished. Why are they astonished? They've seen every miracle before. And it's almost like they say, don't be afraid, just believe. Or when Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk, and then he notices the storms around him, and it begins to sink. And Jesus reaches down, he doesn't preach, he reaches down to him and he picks him up and he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? In other words, don't be afraid, just believe. Is your faith that strong? Man, that's the kind of faith I want. So when he tells the synagogue ruler, Jairus, don't, don't be afraid, just believe. Mark goes on to tell us that Jesus kind of excluded everybody else, but he took James, he took John, he took Peter. And when they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. In the ancient Near East, you hire people to do this. They're crying, they're wailing loudly, and he went in and said to them, Why? What? What's this all about? She's just asleep. She's not really dead, and they're laughing at it. They laugh at Jesus. I would love to be a fly on the wall when he kicks them all out. It's like that time where he's in the temple, right? And he uses this cord and he whips it. He says, Get out, get out. You've made this house of prayer a place of thieves, of robbers. He goes in this time and he says, You know, she's, she's not dead, but asleep. And they laugh at him and he throws them out. That's why, why? Why not just do the miracle in front of all of them so that the, the, the Gospel will be more pronounced? It will move faster through the ancient Near East, right? But time and time again, Jesus always says, 
you know, keep, keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything. Don't, he's he's going to say it here in a, in a second, right? Don't say anything to anybody. He puts them all out and he took the child's father and mother. That's and Peter, and James, and John. Peter's going to be the leader of the church, right? Matthew chapter 16. Upon this statement of faith, Peter, will build my church. You're going to be a, a leader in the church. And James' tradition tells us James will be the, the leader of the synagogue in Jerusalem. And John, you know what John and Peter did, right? Read the first part of Acts. They get to see things that nobody else gets to see. They get to see the transfiguration. And they get to see this event that Jesus goes into this synagogue ruler's home. Mom, dad, the three disciples, and Jesus. And he takes her by the hand and he says to her, term of endearment, this Talitha kum, it means little lamb. Anybody remember what Jesus called himself in John? I am the good shepherd. There's seven different I am statements in the Gospel of John, but one of those statements is I am the good shepherd. And so when he uses this term of endearment, when, when a little child in the ancient Near East was called little lamb, it was a term of it was it, there, there was a, this is a signi, signifies some love, right? Little lamb, get up. And again, Mark says immediately she stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. Obviously, she's of walking age. <laughs> and here again in verse 42, at this they were completely why, why do we why do we lack faith in that when we pray about things that God answers prayers that we're astonished that we're amazed and here's that commandment verse 43 notice he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this don't you think that the people that he kicked outside that are waiting around to say well we're going to hang out because we got paid for X number of hours so when he comes out um, we're we're going to collect our paycheck right we're still going to be here don't you think that when they see the little girl walking around that they're amazed and they're going to go tell everybody else about it. Don't you think that's going to be accurate? Don't you think mom and dad probably were great evangelists from that very point on? Don't you think the girl herself would have said, you know, I was dead. They said I was laid up in a bed and now I'm able to walk again. It's all because of Jesus. Don't you think that evangelism would have happened ripple after ripple after ripple effect? Why would Jesus say, why would He say this? He gave strict orders, it says, not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. There's still, there's still this other stuff that Jesus has to do. If you've been reading with us through the Gospel of Mark, you understand that Jesus is on His way to the cross, even now. And yet Jesus controls what Jesus controls, and not anything else. At least in His flesh. You follow what I'm saying? And God's timing, God the Father in this case, God's timing is always perfect. But why rush everything? What's the themes in this text? Number one, I think faith. Both Jairus, synagogue ruler, both the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. By your faith, healing takes place. By your faith, healing takes place. Now, that begs the question, right? When you pray and God doesn't hear us, if God doesn't heal right away, does that mean you lack faith? That's what those health and wealth gospel would tell us. I don't believe that's accurate. I don't believe that's true. What I do know is healing, complete healing, complete restoration doesn't take place this side of healing or this side of heaven. You understand what I'm saying? Complete healing does not take place. Complete restoration does not take place this side of heaven. You follow? And so you can pray and you can pray and you can pray about people that you've prayed about for a, a long time, but actual healing takes place over there. When your body's been restored, some of, us, some of us have lost, all of us I suppose, have lost loved ones. And we feel like we've prayed and we prayed and we prayed and God didn't answer that prayer. And I would say not so fast. Maybe this healing has actually occurred the way God intended it for. Complete 
healing has taken place. In other words, you're not always going to see the miracle. It's always going to be in a spiritual realm rather than a physical realm. Also, I want you to hear, see the similarities between this woman who's been bleeding. If you're, an, if you're a Jew in the ancient Near East, what does that mean if you're bleeding? That means you're unclean. Those of you who remember, we were talking about the leper a couple of weeks ago. What's a leper? He's unclean, right? They had to walk around and say, unclean, unclean, unclean. And if I did that, that was your, that was your warning to get away because you don't want to be unclean because if you're unclean, what? You can't show up to the temple. You can't show up to the synagogue. You're unclean. You can't go in the presence of God. And so when Jesus allows her to touch his cloak and immediately she's clean, now, past the 12 years, now she's able to go in the presence of God once again. You follow? Complete restoration has taken place. Another way to be unclean is to come into contact with a dead body. So when the messengers show up and tell Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore, and Jesus goes in and says to this little girl, Grabs her by the hand, she's dead, which would have been, he would have been unclean. But this is God in the flesh, right? He restores and he says, little child, I say to you, little lamb, I, I tell you, life restored. That's the gospel. And Jesus would have made everything around him clean. Parents, Peter, James, and John, and even the girl. Can I ask you this morning, I, I know you pray from these from time to time, but do you really believe what you pray for? have that kind of faith? You have the kind of faith that says, you know, I've come to the end of my road. I, I've come to the end of the valley. It's gotten darker and it's gotten darker and it's gotten darker. And, and, and it seems like that I'm just talking to the ceiling. Maybe it's time to reach out and touch the cloak of Jesus. There'll be naysayers that come around and say, you know, don't bother the teacher anymore. Maybe this is just your lot in life. Maybe these are just the cards you've been in. In other words, life is not fair. But I want to encourage you to listen to Jesus more than you listen to those messengers. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jairus must have been excited when Jesus says, don't, don't fear, just be, just be consistent with your faith. Don't fear, just, be, just have faith. And look what happens. God's in the business of restoration. God's in the business of restoration. For us, for you as an individual, for me as an individual, for our world, for our nation, God knows we need restoration in our nation. God's in the business of restoration. But I want to ask you to consider this morning, do you, or do you just wring your hands and limit God. Would you pray with me, please? Father, for your word, for the text before us today, I'm like the man who, who claimed a certain amount of faith, and yet uh, I know my flesh is limited. I pray that you would increase my faith. I pray that you would increase our faith. Sometimes when we see the news and we hear about things like abortion, wickedness run amok in our nation, sometimes we just relegate ourselves to this broken world, and we... We who have hope seem to be hopeless. We who may even sing about joy or talk about joy, we are oftentimes the ones that lack joy. Father, I pray that you would restore our hope, that you would restore our faith, that you would help us to understand that until you say, until you say something is done, it's not done. Father, I don't know, sometimes we've been praying about these things for a long time, maybe even years, and it seems like it seems like there's nothing else to pray. It seems like it's so broken, in other words, that you would remind us of your love. I pray that you'd remind us of the statement you make here in Mark chapter 5 that we should not be afraid just to believe. God, if there's someone here today that knows Jesus just on a surface level at an arm length, I pray that today they would really know Jesus. If there's some of us here today that are just religious, 
that are just going through the motions, I pray today is the day of salvation. For those of us that are lukewarm, for those of us that are not really hot, we're not really cold, we're just, God, would you forgive us and would you do what you need to do in our hearts and make us your... Would you continue to be patient with us, God? Would you continue to be gracious and compassionate, not just for us, but for the entire world? Father, as you near the business of restoration, I pray that you would allow us to be your church, allow us to be the called out ones, not just to receive, but also to declare. In Christ's name I pray.